You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Hey, we're going to open the Word of God this morning. We're going to go straight into Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. A real privilege to bring the Word and start the series uh, this morning. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, Let me open in prayer as we look at this word together. Father, we thank you. Jesus, you are doing a work of consecration, Lord, within many hearts. And God, I pray as we, we lean in and we listen, that your word would pierce our heart in the good way, that would get in and it would sort out what needs to be sorted out. It would deal with the things that need to be dealt with, that we would align ourselves with your word, your truth, so that we would understand what it means to live with you, but also in community. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, over my lifetime, I've been a, a part of many different communities, um, through church, through, through youth, uh, through football. I've been in probably dozens of football teams, uh, and different teams have different uh, culture, different feel, um, different relationships. I've been in some really good cultures where it's actually the, the team I'm playing with at the moment, a bunch of crazy guys, but, but we really love each other. There's a real sense of camaraderie, and, and we actually really enjoy each other's company, and it's quite a neat community. But, but I remember a, a polarizing community that I got to be a part of. Uh, when Amy and I were youth, um, children's pastors down in Auckland, I had the, the privilege, I was asked to sign for Waikato FC in the National League. It's kind of the highest level I ever got to play um, in football. And so I was signed up for this team. It was kind of a, an eclectic group of uh, Waikato and uh, Auckland players who maybe didn't quite make Waitakere or Auckland City. So we were kind of the, the also-rans kind of a group. Um, and, and so we gathered together. And I mean, some really talented players within that team and really enjoyed being a part of it. But let's just say the coach was slightly eccentric. I'll, I'll, I'll use that word um, probably to most kindly describe his, his management technique, his player management technique, even his philosophy of play. Um, he, would li- he liked to pit players against players. You know, kind of the moment you make a mistake, you get called out, you get shouted down. And, and it, would, it just kind of created this really toxic environment where you didn't quite know where you stood. I certainly wasn't encouraged to play well or play right. Um, about halfway through the season, we'd lost most of our games, only won a couple of games. Um, and let's be honest, we, we just weren't as good as the other teams. That's the reality. You set up a league, there's going to be teams that are better than others. We just weren't that good compared to the others. But he had this strategy because he wanted to win the league, although that was never going to happen. So he decided that midway through the season, I'll cut half the team. So nine of us out of the 20 were told, hey, thanks, we appreciate the first half of the season, but you won't be required for the second half. And that was, so that was, that was like, oh, okay. I thought I was giving my best. You know, maybe we could have gathered together, had a conversation, and 
build some unity, build team, but no, let's just replace the players. What's interesting is they brought in new players and the team didn't win a single game for the second half of the season. Now, I'm not saying that if I'd stayed on, we would have won, but I reckon if we'd kind of gathered, regrouped, gathered, built unity and trust and relationship, that team might have performed a whole lot better than just bringing in a whole other group of people that don't have unity. You know, in this passage, it's really interesting. These disciples are now living post-physical Jesus. So, so Jesus is no longer with them in person. Now, they understood Jesus was still with them. His spirit was with them. But they, they no longer had him beside them saying, this is what you need to do. Or how long do I have to put up with you? As some, sometimes Jesus would say, <laughs> you know, do it this way. You know, Jesus in present form would have been so much easier, I think. Because you just go, okay, Jesus is actually physically doing that. I should do that too. He's, he's saying that. I say that too. For three years, they'd followed, watched every miracle. They'd even participated in some of them being a part of what God was doing. When he rose from the dead, I mean, they were, they were mortified when he, when he was crucified. They didn't think that's what was going to happen. They didn't understand fully what Jesus had to do in order to find freedom for all of us. So in Acts 1, he gathers them for a final time. He's, he's now the resurrected Jesus, and he's standing before them, and he says, I want you to go into Jerusalem. Go, in, go into Jerusalem. I want you to wait for my helper. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send my spirit, my very own spirit is going to come, and he's, he's, he's going to be your helper. But even greater than that, he's going to empower you. So the power of Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be able to testify. You'll be able to become a witness of the things that I have done and the things that I've spoken of. And so they went and they, they waited. And the day of Pentecost come, came, which is 50 days, Pente meaning 50, 50 days after the Passover, Pentecost comes. And, and the Bible describes it as a sound of rushing wind or a violent wind. Now, we've had some violent wind. We, we kind of, it's, it's hard to miss, right? Everybody's kind of aware of that. And there was this violent rushing wind, and the Bible describes tongues of fire falling on every single believer that was gathered. Every single believer that had waited, had tarried, had not left and gone back to work and said, Jesus isn't coming, he's not sending his helper. And every single person that had waited received a baptism of fire, completely transformed. Now, what was exciting about this is all of a sudden they start to speak in tongues. But this wasn't babble. This wasn't tongues of babble, that, that nonsensical words. They began to speak in the tongues of the, the, the nations that surrounded Jerusalem, that were in Jerusalem at the time. So they were speaking intelligent words, speaking of the wonder of God, out of their mouth. And they're saying, these guys must be drunk. But then they concluded, but they can't be drunk. But are they drunk? How are they so intelligent? What has happened? The power of God had transformed that community. And what I find fascinating in this passage is when that all happens, Peter then stands. And it says, and I love the detail in the Bible, the little words that are added that you think, is that really necessary? It is, because every word is written for a reason. And it says, Peter stood with the 11 apostles. So he stood, he preached, but there are 11 standing with him. There were 11 others. They were standing. They would have been on. Uh, uh, you know, can you imagine it? Just go, yeah, Peter, that's good. Come on, preach that, preach that. Let's go. 
There was an agreement. They stood together. One person might, might be preaching, but there was an agreement. There was that, that sense of unity coming together around that one thought. Do you find it fascinating that only 50 days earlier, Peter stood in a courtyard? Peter stood in a courtyard. I don't know that man. I don't know him. I'm not one of his disciples. You know, Mark chapter 16, the, when Jesus meets the woman at the tomb, he says, go get the disciples and Peter. You ever find that fascinating? Go and have a read, Mark 16. Go and get the disciples and Peter. See, Peter himself had handed in his discipleship card in the courtyard. He said, I don't know him. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, Peter, you are. I'm just going to have to restore you. You're going to have to come back into relationship again, and we're going to have a corridor around what needs to change. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Of course I love you, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo-woo. And it's Peter, restored, transformed, preaching fearlessly, not fearful of persecution. And there's Peter standing with the 11 and proclaiming the wonders of God. You know what I see in this? The power of a community empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see as we read this passage. This was a community that was formed and sustained by the power of God. Peter failed and yet God restores him. You failed, but Peter, have another chance. Go again. Anyone feeling the guilt of, of failure? Anyone feeling the condemnation of things that you've done that you, 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 you think that God will be upset with? You know what he's upset with? It's that you won't bring that failure to him. The thing that concerns him most is that you wouldn't bring that to him and say, and just acknowledge it, God, I messed up, I got it wrong. And he'll say, I know. Thanks for finally coming to me. <laughs> now, let's, now let's restore with grace. That thing that you lost, that you threw away, that you gave away, and find new power through my spirit. Over these next few weeks, we're going to look at these little but significant practices and disciplines that I think if we apply them to our own lives personally, things shift around us. But it's not enough for us just to apply them individually. When we apply them corporately, when these practices become something that we do together, Things shift. If you find yourself in this place and you're isolated, and you might even come to church, but, but you don't have connection, you don't have relationship, you don't have other people speaking into your world, I would encourage you, step out. Be brave, be bold, reach out to somebody. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to try and feel like you want to break into a group, try and, try and fit in. And, and you know what? Sometimes as a church, we're going to get it wrong. And if we've hurt or if we've upset or if we've offended, I, I'm sorry. Come and talk to me if I've done that to you. Let's, let's build relationship. Let's, let's make a commitment to walk together. We've spent the start of the year looking at the greatest commandment to love God with our heart, soul, mind. Out of the resource of God's love, we then have the ability to love others. I don't have it in myself. I'm not a good enough, kind enough, generous person within my fleshly human state to love. But boy, when I sit in God's love, when I am immersed in His love, when I receive His love and His grace and His forgiveness, then it's God's love that pours out through me. And I get to love others. I get to forgive others. I get to give others another chance as they've given me another chance. 
That's the love. And then what happens is it flows out into freedom for others. This morning, I want to talk about the, the first thing today is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What, what does it mean to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? I believe we will grow bigger, reach further as individuals, but even greater as a community when, when we make these two commitments. First one is this, trust that the Bible is true. Now, I, I know it seems a little bit of an obvious, obvious statement to make in a, maybe a church of people who probably do read the Bible. But there's a lot of people that would question the validity of the Bible. And there's some things that I, I look at the Bible and I don't fully understand. But I have made a commitment that I will trust that the Word of God is truth, even the bits I don't understand. See, we get stuck on the bit we don't understand. And so we think, well, if I can't understand this, then I'll just chuck out the rest. No. No, we've got to go deeper. Maybe we've got to find a friend to go deeper with in order to get that understanding and grow a little. If we don't have our Bibles as the plumb line, if we don't have it as our foundation, everything we try to build on will be sinking sand. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its what? Foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a crash. That's a warning for all of us. It's a challenge to say, you know what? Pick the right foundation to build our lives on. I'm not going to build it on Mike's wisdom. That would be shifting sand. You would be in big trouble. But if you would build your life on the foundation that is the Word of God, and I do my best every week to try and bring the Word of God in a way that, that could be applicable and understandable, but you know what? Sometimes even I'm going to get it wrong. You can't build it on me. We build it on Jesus. If you don't have a daily intake of the Word of God, then we're probably going to be a little bit malnourished. In fact, we will be spiritually malnourished. What I've come to discover is that living in biblical truth is the safest place I can be. And it's the safest place you can be. See, truth doesn't stand on Mike's side. I don't have a monopoly on truth. It doesn't stand on your side. Truth is truth. Truth is foundational. And if we're not standing in alignment, something shifts. Now, do I shift or do I try and move God? <laughs> Good luck with that. This is the creator of the universe who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And we want to move God in the foundation of his word that he said is final. And yet we try. Oh, don't we like to try. Don't agree with that part of the Bible. Maybe a rewrite. Another version maybe. Something that's a little bit more uh, easier to consume. <laughs> No, we build on the foundation because if it's the truth that sets you free, if it's the truth that sets me free too, if it's the truth that sets us free, it's kind of like gravity. We can think whatever we like about gravity. We can believe that gravity exists or it doesn't exist. We can even put gravity to the test. I don't believe in gravity. Now, I'm not because I do believe in gravity. But how foolish will I look as my theory fails face forward? Truth is truth. Truth will be revealed. We've seen that. 
The devil loves to overplay his hand. He doesn't love to, but he does. All of a sudden, we're worshiping Satan at the Grammys. And then people go, well, hold on. We've been criticizing God, and yet we're now worshiping Satan? And then a group of teenagers say, you know what? We're just going to consecrate our lives before God. And we're going to put out, we're going to go face down and we're going to see what God would do if we gave ourselves fully to Him. The polar opposite. Build it on self, on man, or do we build it on the Word of God? When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate asks him, What's truth? He had no idea that truth in its very essence was standing before him. Jesus is truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, meaning if you know me, you'll know truth, and you'll be free. If, if we're not sure on something in the Bible, pursue Jesus. Just get closer and closer to Jesus. Now, how do we get closer and closer to Jesus? You know what? The answer is the Word. It's not my feelings. It's not my thoughts. It's not my emotions. Because I can deceive myself daily with my thoughts. That's why we've got to take every thought that we have captive and bring it into obedience to Christ, obedience to His Word. See, society is going to shift every generation. We're going to come up with more and more ways to become enlightened as human beings, right? Every generation, something new to think about, to consider, becoming better and better and better, but we are straying further and further and further. And Romans summed it up, Romans 1. God will give us over to our depraved minds. He says, this is the way. Would you live according to my truth? Would you you walk in this truth? But if you don't, it's it's still your choice. You're still going to pursue whatever you want to pursue. But would we build it? Would we build our lives on the Word of God? Your freedom doesn't come from me becoming a free thinker. In fact, it's the very opposite. You don't free your mind to find freedom. You, you say, you know what? I'm going to take every thought, every emotion captive and bring it in obedience to the Word of God. If something's out of line with the Word of God, I'm going to shift. I'm going to return, repent, and turn, return back to God. Your parents, the generation we lead today, will carry or cast off the Word of God, depending on how they see us engage with it. If we love the Word of God, if we teach the Word of God, if we encourage our kids in the Word of God, they'll carry that. But if we despise it, if we ignore it, if we, if we don't engage in it, then what happens is they see that as normal. Our children follow our example, whether good or bad. I mean, I realize that we're raising our children in the ways of the Lord, but there was an intentionality that was missing in bringing the Word of God into our our family. So we made a commitment at the start of this year to have family night. Every Thursday night, you know, six or seven, it's family night. We open the Word together. We play some games together. We... You know, we're using this incredible curriculum that uh, Cindy, is, um, our, our children's pastor, is writing family devotions that you can use at home to engage. For the first time ever, we've got curriculum that goes from our intermediate right down to our preschool, the same content. So it doesn't matter what age your children are at, you can engage in this content and have conversations at home. And it's great. Our kids love it. It's part of why we made the decision for Amy to step back from the, the hands-on ministry so that we could devote time to our family 
to raise our family in the things of the Lord. And we realize the cost and the sacrifice, and what that means, but we are so thankful and we're so determined to press in because we want to build our family on the foundation of the word. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love it. I just have this picture of this memory vault. It's like this vault, the safe. The word of God goes in there and the devil goes, oh, I'm going to get you. It's like you can't crack the code. The temptation comes, it's like, out it comes. It is written. Even Jesus in the wilderness. <laughs> All the temptation of the enemy says, it's written. Let me just speak the word of God. Let me speak myself back to you. I'm just gonna <laughs> but the word of God silences the enemy. He holds no power when, when we speak the word of God. And even greater, when somebody else can declare the word of God, they find freedom in themselves, in Jesus, as they commit to the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, as the team come this morning, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Sometimes that doesn't feel easy. It's not a walk in the park. But I'm so thankful for the Word of God that teaches, corrects, rebukes, and trains. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When the Word of God impacts us, it, it, it pierces us, it pierces our soul. One of the Quotes that I love is, truth is like surgery, it hurts, but it's effective. Man, if I've got a septic wound in my system, I want the skill of a surgeon. Not to cut away the muscle, because I'm going to need that muscle. But I want a surgeon to be able to cut in, get rid of the rot, clean it out. That's what the Word of God does. It takes the bitterness of offense and unforgiveness that heart that's been robbed of joy and peace and righteousness because of those things. And the, the Word of God comes and it carefully and intentionally changes something in us. But would we surrender to the truth? Would we believe the truth of God's Word above everything else? There's research done by the Center for Biblical Engagement, a pool of almost 10,000 people found that the power of four, meaning if you engage in the Word of God four times out of four out of seven days of the week. So in other words, if you engage with the Word of God more than less, these shifts and changes in behavior took place. It was found that 57% were less likely to get drunk. 68% less were, were less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 61% less likely to engage in pornography. 74% less likely to struggle with gambling. Some of the exciting stats within that also was that those people are more than two times likely to share their faith with someone else. 2.3 times more likely to disciple another person. Four times more likely to memorize Scripture, hide God's Word in their heart. Friends, the evidence points to life change when we engage in the Word of God and allow it to change our behavior. This week, would you reaffirm your love for the Word with God? Would you open your Bible, dust it off if that's what you got to do? And not feel guilt and condemnation, please. Don't feel guilt and condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we can open it again. And we can say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. 
please forgive me. I need your word to build my life upon. Before we hit the Facebook, before we hit the apps, the news, we open the word of God and we build our life on him. Second and last thing this morning, we need to commit to build our community on the Bible. It's a biblical community. We're not, we're not gathering together because we've got a couple of things in common. We're gathering on the Word of God. We're gathering on the truth of Jesus. Sitting with a friend the other day, he said something that really challenged me. Often we, we think that's my interpretation of the truth and that's your interpretation of the truth and we can actually sit with that being okay. But actually the truth is the truth. Would we not strive to get to that place of understanding truth? It's interesting, even within our staff team, the conversations over the last five or six months, they're going deeper and theologically. It's like, I don't know, if, do I understand that? What do you think? We're talking about other cool, fun stuff, but actually some of our conversations going, what does that scripture really mean? As we go closer, as we go deeper, we align ourselves with the truth of God's word. We build a community on the truth of God's word. I want to be like the Bereans. The Bereans in Acts 17. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now sometimes we can read this passage and, and say, did the Bereans doubt what the apostles were saying? Actually, no. It says they eagerly received the Word of God. But then they went and they searched the Scriptures to know and to understand. Because you've got to understand, we have the whole Bible. We've got God's Electric Power Company, if you're not sure what that is, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a good way to remember it. The book of Romans, wow, the book of Romans. How amazing is that? They didn't have that. Revelation, what's coming? What's happening in our midst right now? They didn't have that. But the Bereans, they would go into the Word of God. They'd go into the Old Testament. They'd go into the law and into the prophets. And, and they would hear of this teaching of Jesus that would become the Word, right? It was about to become the Word. It was about to become the canon of Scripture. But they had to go deep into there to gain understanding. I love B.B. Warfield. He says, The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lit. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not there before, but it brings out into clearer view much of what was in it, but was only dimly and even not at all perceived before. See, when Jesus entered, when the, when the New Testament was, was placed alongside the Old Testament, everything was already there in the Old Testament. You've got to understand. But the New Testament brings light and all those amazing things that were in the Old Testament went, whoa, there it is. The revelation of God, that's the wonder of God. I love this, Robert Smith Jr. says, for every New Testament doctrine, there is an Old Testament picture. So all the things that we know now, there was a picture. There was a story. There was a failure. There was grace given and received. All there in the Old Testament. Come on, we've got to be careful. Our language isn't, oh, I just love the New Testament. I'm not so sure about the Old Come on, let's wrestle with the old as well. The old is not wrong. It's, it's, it's not the old and the new has come. That's the wrong interpretation of Scripture, please. It's the old and the new together. The full revelation of Christ. 
Now, I hope I don't disappoint anyone too much, but I ain't that smart. And if you're looking to me as your source of wisdom and understanding, not enough. But boy, in this group of people, there are some smart people, some wise people, some people that gather in community and small community and homes and they study the Word of God together. If you're not a part of one of those groups, I would say you're probably in a bit of a challenging situation. Can I encourage us to get with some people, open the Word of God together, study together. Remember those that read the Bible four times at least a week were less likely to do those things. Now imagine what would happen if you read your Bible four times at least a week and gathered and talked with somebody. An amazing story, a testimony. Somebody who's part of our team just a couple of years ago battling with alcohol. It was a wrestle. It was a challenge he was going through. And in a biblical small group, <laughs> I was blessed for it to be in my home at that time. It just happened to be. He says, guys, I'm struggling with this. This stuff's getting the better of me too often, and I'm sick of it. We gather around, and we prayed, and we opened the Word of God. And this person applied the Word of God to their life, and they are nowhere near like what they were before. A godly man standing on the truth of God's Word and living daily in conversation with people. It's one thing for me to apply the Word of God to my own life, but if I can apply it in relationship with you and me, we all get changed together. Friends, if you're happy to, to just close your eyes for a moment, I want to speak to one group of people as I bring this to a close. You know, for some of you, you're here today and understanding the Word of God is, is difficult for you because you haven't met the Word of God. <laughs> The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. And when we understand that Jesus is the Word of God, we understand the significance of Him in our lives. Friends, each of us are appointed a time to die. We don't know when that will be. And at that point, we stand before a, a holy and a righteous and a loving judge that says, what have you done with your life? Of all the things that we could do, all the things that we could achieve, there's one thing that matters and only one thing. What did you do with Jesus? Did you respond to Him? Did you surrender? Did you submit your life to Him? That is what God wants more than anything. The hearts that are surrendered. When we surrender our life, when we give up our rights, we give up everything that we want, Jesus comes he forgives, He heals, He sets us free. And we begin to walk in freedom together. And I want to give an, an opportunity, an invitation for anybody here today saying, I'm not right with God, but I want to surrender my life, my heart to, to Jesus. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin, to walk in righteousness and His righteousness, to be forgiven and to walk in freedom. If that's you, I want to pray a prayer. and Please feel free to pray. With me, out loud or in your heart, God hears your prayer. He hears the, the sincerity of your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved me first. Thank you, Jesus, that you sacrificed your own life. You gave yourself 
to us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have relationship with the Father. Today I turn from my old way of living. I choose to make you, Jesus, Lord of my life. I put you first, and I choose to build my life on your foundation. Please forgive me for living life my own way. I turn to you, and I follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.